When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies, human beings, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Whitkin. You've heard of clean eating, but what about clean medicine? This is the domain of my guest today, David Johnson, co-founder of Genexa. He co-founded the company, which endeavors to make medicine with active ingredients people need, but without the artificial ones they don't. After becoming a father, he created this with his co-founder. He and his co-founder found that medicines they need to take care of their kids were full of additives, unnecessary chemicals, and allergens, and so they got to work to find a better way forward. After many years of research and development with the company's chief medical officer and pharmaceutical experts, their line of USDA-certified organic and non-GMO products was born. David, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Awesome to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I should have introduced you as David Badass Johnson, given your past history, not just in the culinary arts, but also as a IDF paratrooper. But we'll talk about that in just a second. See, I like to just throw that out there in the beginning. Keeps people before they're like, oh, I don't want to talk to this guy who just went to culinary school. But so your background is in food chemistry. I know you don't like it. You don't want me to call you a chef. Although to me, people who understand food chemistry probably can put a pretty good meal together. And you went to school for this, obviously. And then you made a pivot. Just talk a little bit about you and it's Max Spielberg, your partner, your co-founder in this endeavor, the inspiration behind this, and also personally you, the pivot away from, although it's not a huge pivot away, but starting in food chemistry and culinary school and then moving into medicine and clean medicine. The company was founded in its original days when we had our first kids. And Max and I couldn't really understand why the product at shelf was unpronounceable, let alone pink, let alone blue. We couldn't really understand what was going into this. And at the time, there was a big shift already happening in food and and beverage and supplements and makeup, and everything was heading more towards clean label. And for us, it was, why is this done? And having that background in food chemistry and Max having a background in FDA law, we kind of came together and said, well, if everyone's cleaning up these other industries, why is this one yet to be clean? And when we dove into it, we realized that the majority of all the products in that space were 70 to 95% inactive ingredients, really the ingredients that we don't need, the ingredients that are not the drug and why we're giving it to our kid or why we're taking it. We said something had to be done. And I would tell you, Aaron, that if we had any experience in the pharmaceutical industry, we probably wouldn't have went down that path. But because of our past experience in chemistry, food, and FDA law, it was kind of like, let's explore this. And being two dads with an overall passion to make better for you, cleaner for you medicines is what drove us to move into it. I personally come from a background of nuts and seeds type of household. And Max comes from the complete opposite side that basically took a drug for any allergy or any sickness he ever got. And it's been a great partnership. And one that I think you can only look for if you're going to have a partner in any type of growth company. Max sounds like the kind of guy, he's probably the kid that I was, which I called myself a bubble boy. I mean, 
I still am asthmatic and I have a ton of allergies, not food allergies necessarily, but seasonal allergies and other things. And had I known then that some of it might have been genetic, sure, some of it might have been environmental, but probably a lot of it also was what I was being given either by way of medicine or food that probably exacerbated or potentially made my conditions worse. That's a lot of what we realized. And you have the top eight allergens in most OTC medicines in this country led with lactose and gluten. And I think it's when you start to realize those things, and then these are the things that the bubble boy takes at his first symptom, you question why. And obviously, it's an antiquated space. It's a space that has some of the bigger Goliaths, and it needed a David. So that's why we moved into it. What are some of those kind of common allergens? I think you said there's eight of them that we would find in a competitor's brand, like an over-the-counter competitor's brand, let's just say Tylenol, just as an example. It kind of ranges depending on which bottle or which product or which flavor, but it's led with things like lactose and gluten, and then you would see a lot of dyes that are causing a lot of allergic reactions. There's a lot of corn. And then you move into things outside of that list of allergens, but really things like propylene glycol that can be found in antifreeze and so on and so on. And it just didn't seem necessary to us. And obviously, it's not in there for no reason, but if we could replace them and make it better for you and really think about the consumer first, that's the direction we wanted to head in. So why do you think these companies have not taken action sooner to reformulate some of these products? Why does it take a startup and two concerned dads to find money and to go through probably a very, very painful process, a steep learning curve, and a ton of regulatory stuff. Why aren't these companies just doing it on their own? Is it just inertia? Is it because I know that some of these additives are actually preservatives. It extends the shelf life, so there's probably a business reason for it. But I just understand, especially it's 2021 now, and there's such a heightened awareness around all these types of issues. Why? How come it hasn't changed yet? I think you see in food a lot of acquisition happening of the brands that are actually pushing the better for you. You're definitely seeing it across the board in makeup and others. I think in this space, Aaron, you have some really, really big companies that are not only focused on the -the over-the-counter space, but are focused on life-saving drugs, whether that's within cancer, diabetes, and so on. And it requires a huge amount of manpower and a huge amount of process internally to reformulate and redevelop. There's a lot of revenue already from so many other things. And these brands, the OTC space in the US alone is $130 billion plus space. So these brands are already making a significant amount. I do think that they've made the shift towards dye-free, but I think what we're doing is pushing that to just be better overall. The consumer deserves the right to choose clean. And at their lowest point in life, when they're looking at the shelf, If they have a fever or headache or pain or whatever the symptom is, they should be able to have that opportunity to choose something that can get them better, but can also help them feel right taking it. In terms of there's a cost perspective, there's a development timeframe of redoing it. And I think it would be hard for a lot of these companies to say that what they've been doing over the past hundred years was not okay. And now they're changing that and making it okay. I think they prefer the acquisition model or kind of just sticking it out with what they're doing. And you guys are what, five, six years old? Not even? Five. Okay. Are you counting that from the moment that you and Max said, hey, we're going to do this? Are you counting that from the moment that you're in market? 
counting that from the time Max and I said we could do this, we stayed on at our day jobs for two years and we worked on this at night. And really that was to get us through the R&D. We flew around the country, met with 65 manufacturers to end up back in Los Angeles, getting a manufacturer to give us six tries at research and development and failed every one of them because there's processes already in place and there's ingredients, excipients, there's all the things that come together that are known. So we had to redevelop. You mentioned preservative systems. We had to create clean, organic preservative systems that would hold that stability. So this was a lot of heavy lifting up front to get to a final product for launch, but two years of that process and then into market. That's still incredible. I mean, I feel like that's incredibly accelerated. I mean, I know that the formulation, without that or reformulation, you have nothing. But then once you have that, then you need to get the FDA to approve it, which is not easy. And that's, I guess, where Max's background came in because he's a lawyer and he's worked in that space. There's a process. You have to hit certain hurdles. You're 100% right, Aaron. But I think the difference in an entrepreneurial kind of company where like it's get it done, military, get it done, Max, lawyer, get it done. And we kind of came together to just push it forward because it was more passion driven and really had a purpose. We were cleaning up an industry that is overall dirty and we just kept pushing. And I can tell you that our manufacturers have never worked with people like us because it's usually, here's the job, turn it over in three years. Just go through the process that you want to go through the process. But there's definitely a time frame that you can't hurdle. You have to go through the steps and you have to do it right. And there's safety, there's efficacy, there's proving stability and all that stuff. But it's just that will to move that process along. And where are the products found now? We're in about 35,000 stores. So you can find us in Target, CVS, Walmart, Walgreens, Amazon. That's crazy. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. And you didn't have to like pimp yourself out on Shark Tank. Did you go out and solicit investors at the same time? We did. Max and I funded the company in the beginning to really get through the research and development standpoint. And then what we did is we went out and found investors that weren't necessarily venture or private equity. It was more purpose. We wanted, whether it was this celebrity or just my mother, I mean, we wanted people that, not just my mother, I love my mother to death and she's my celebrity, but- All of our moms are celebrities. They have (laughs) to be. They're a blessing. They're absolutely blessings. That's right. But I mean, we really wanted people that understood the mission and what we were doing here. So that's the money we took early on. And we didn't take any kind of institutional capital at all until recently. So it's been a great ride. We're very happy with where we are as a company. And I think what really separated us is that purpose of what we were doing. We're a pharmaceutical company, Aaron, that you can pick up the phone and get someone. We're a pharmaceutical company that has the phone number of one of the founders on the side of every package. We're here in terms of certifications. We have certifications, not because it's showy on the package. We have certifications because it holds us to our standards. So we say you have to have three certifications to even launch a product at Genexa, but one of them has to be of the leaping bunny so that it's not tested on animals or organic or non-GMO or gluten-free or vegan. But one of them they all have to be a certain standard so that we know that there's no synthetic, there's no byproduct. There's a lot of things to hurdle with those certifications. It's not just buying a certification for us. It's to hold our feet to the fire. And B Corp is to hold our feet to the fire in terms of how we give back to employees, how we give back in the world. It's a hard certification. How long is the B Corp process? I mean, you're one of dozens of companies that I've had on, including I've had B Corp on as well, B Labs. 
How long did that process take you? That is a very serious, very rigorous process that if no one understands it, if no one's been through it before, I think they underestimate how legit it is. When Max and I started the company and I'm now moving into market, we heard about B Corp and we researched it. And I can't remember when B Corp started, but it was... It's about 10 years ago. Or less. And we were one of the early companies to go after it. It was when I think the certification was a very small amount of money, which it still is today. And I think it says a lot about them because it's much more focused on getting the certification and all the hoops you have to jump through to get it and how their rating system works. But we said, this is exactly why we're doing what we're doing. Let's go get the certification. And I kid you not, Aaron, I thought making drugs was difficult. What B Corp does to companies in terms of just everything they have to put in place, starting with employees and how good the benefits are for the employees, how you're treating the employees salary-wise, how you take on energy in your building. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And the first certification took us, I think, about three months. The second certification almost took us eight. I'm talking about visits and video conferencing with random employees, random phone calls to employees. It's just not a kind of check-the-box type of certification anymore. I respect them for it. It's very real. And I'd like to see it become more and more mainstream. You are seeing the likes of Unilever and some other large entities also going through the process, either divisionally or holistically, which I think is nice. I'm just kind of curious. So is the plan to always stay OTC or do you ever envision scaling or applying your approach to the prescription world? Or is that not even possible? It's possible. It's a longer process. And again, the majority of the US starts at the OTC shelf when their kid's sick. We forget that the majority of the US is in the middle of the US. And there's a lot of consumers that haven't had the opportunity to really experience nutrition or there's a lot of education that needs to happen, Aaron, in terms of providing cleaner products at shelf first, because that's where the consumer gravitates to. And that's where the majority of all moms start when their kid's sick. We're not stopping. Our focus right now is the leading products in every category. But we have a lot left to do in OTC before we move into RX. And RX is it's one thing to get into RX and just kind of use a competitive product and just kind of use that and label it under your name. But it's another thing to reformulate in RX and definitely part of our thought process, but not right now. And I ask only because so much RX goes OTC. And not everything might fit the bill. You might not be able to tackle all of it. There's a lot of, I mean, so much is synthetic because that's just the way it is. So that's the reason why I ask. And kind of an adjacent question, what do you say to people who are hesitant to take the vaccine? I don't really comment on hesitancy on the vaccine. I think the vaccine, it was remarkable how quickly it got into market. I think people are skeptical in terms of the timing around it, in terms of how quick we got it to market. But I think it's remarkable that this country came together to get a vaccine out and get it out to as many people as have already gotten it. When it comes to that type of conversation, it's to each their own. And I can tell you that there's a reason that we're starting to see the country open up again and the opportunity to get everyone back out and be in the world again. I think unfortunately, COVID has really affected our children and just everyone. No, there's no doubt that it's a slow return to normalcy, and I'm feeling it. And every time I have something that feels more normal, I feel like an out size of like elation 
and happiness because it's coming back. I think we're all probably far more appreciative of what we had and will get back and more grateful than ever before. And speaking of appreciation and gratitude, and this is more of a personal statement for me, but one of the other things that I think is interesting from your background is you were a staff sergeant, a paratrooper staff sergeant for the Israeli Defense Forces, otherwise known as the IDF. And that is a badass role, and you did it for three or four years. It's not to make you blush that nobody could see you blushing, but just from what you can say, what was that experience like? And then what from that experience have you taken into the entrepreneurial kind of startup world? I would tell you that it's probably the only experience, if I could start my life over again, that I would immediately plan for. Everything else in life kind of, it ebbs and flows. But being in the military, just anywhere, no matter where you are, it's a life experience. And it's friends for life. It's brothers for life. It's challenging. It builds you. It makes you who you are. And it was an incredible experience. I can tell you that my closest friends are all other entrepreneurs or successful in their own right. And I think it just stems from that mentality of anything's possible. When you're in the military, you have to have a mentality of of anything's possible. Otherwise, you could end up where you don't want to end up. Oh, for sure. And it's among the greatest service you can provide to humanity is to serve. And how did you get into that though? How did you decide you were going to do that? I'm Jewish and it was part- But it's optional for you though, but you're an American, right? Yeah, I'm an American. So you raised your hand. It wasn't like, I'm 18 now, I'm an Israeli citizen, I'm going to go. You basically said, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm a Jewish American, just like me, and I'm going to do this. But So what was the impetus for that? What I recall is just the opportunity to give back. I mean, as a Jewish American, and I'm sure- you can appreciate this as well. Israel is an important country to many, and it's definitely an important country to us as well. So I felt like it was an opportunity. I felt like it was a good time in my life to take it on. And it was a challenge. I enjoy challenges. Clearly. And speaking (laughs) of challenges at Genexa, what was your first product and how are you deciding what products to take on and in what order? Because there's so many. It's now become a much better process than day one. Day one, it was kind of walking through the store and seeing which, which product had the most placement, but it's a lot. First and foremost, we start with consumer feedback. We see what our consumers are asking for. We see what consumers are moving towards also within the marketplace, where there's a lot of allergens, which products are heavily dirty and can be cleaned up. And then obviously it moves into different categories of IRI and the process of choosing which products move best at Shell. The antacid category, for example, is a $4.2 billion category. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of issues when it comes to antacid. And Tums is the main brand in the category. So for us, it was why when you have antacid, let's bring a clean product to take when you have antacid. And so that was kind of one of the first categories we focused so, hold on. Hold on a second. I thought Tums was clean. It's just like brings you back to base. Are you saying that when I pop a Tums or a Prevacid that there's some scary shit I'm putting in my stomach? <laughs> I don't know that I would say scary shit. I would say there's a cleaner option. I think what I'm trying to say is I would rather you take, Aaron, a product without talc or without red dye and use our product that would have clean rice bran extract and beet juice that would dye that product red instead of... Correct. It's kind of the same efficacy, same delivery. Wait, so that chalkiness is talc that I'm tasting? No, you're tasting the calcium carbonate. 
which is chalky, but I mean, there's talc. That's crazy. Why would they put talc in there? Like the same stuff that like talcum powder and the same stuff that's caused cancer for a huge lawsuit for women. Yeah. That's nuts. It's shocking. That's why we started the company. It wasn't for any other reason, but there's a reason that a lot of these sugars and a lot of these things just aren't necessary. And MIT did a recent study on inactive ingredients and they found a lot of things in it. So it's necessary. And I think you're going to see a change. I mean, you have products and companies trying to do it through marketing, but I think it needs to be changed in the product, not just through marketing. That's very well said. There are a lot of companies who choose marketing versus substantial reformulation, and it's quite deceiving. I think that's very well said. And I think a lot of people are susceptible to it, or they're just not thinking. They're just going through the aisle. You're not feeling well or whatever. And you're just grabbing shit off the shelf, basically, and throwing it in your basket. So here's, well, I ask multiple stupid questions every episode. Why is it called Genexa? Max was the guy behind the name, but he thought next generation medicine still had a tone of medicine with the X and how it played out, but really just next generation moving forward in medicine. Okay, that's cool. And how old were you guys when you first met? Max and I go back probably to, I want to say we were 25. I ask because there's this whole old adage and I half believe it, but it's like a friendship built on business versus a business built on friendship. You guys are doing the latter, which is not easy because sometimes friendships spiral and they end once friends go into business. But it sounds like you guys have been able to manage both, which is amazing. How are your roles different in the company? I don't think either of us expected how good this relationship would be for us. But anyone that ever talks to us knows that we're completely different people. And we love what we love and we don't love what we don't love. It's a focus of Max is a lawyer. We have compliance, we have quality, we have legal. And then Max also likes the numbers through conversion and how to operate on the website. He's more of the technical guy when it comes to that. And then for myself, I'm much more in terms of building the company, the culture, the financial side, and driving the operation forward. So there's not really a time that we cross at all. And it's actually more friendship than business, which is remarkable. And I think anyone you asked in the organization or anyone that knows us would say the same thing. When Max is in the office or when we go out to lunch or dinner, I don't think we talk much about Genexa. It's more about us and how he's doing. And I think that's the key. You can focus on business, but if you look at the overall friendship of why you came together, I think it just helps. But division of roles is everything when you have a partner. I had King Arthur uh, Flower Company, baking company, one of the, actually the oldest in the country. It was like Martha Washington's flower. And oh, wow. at one point they had three CEOs, three co-CEOs or tri-CEOs. Now they have two. And it's the same thing. There's a lot of respect and mutual admiration and friendship and trust and being human is important. I'm kind of curious only because it sounds like Max, first the way you described you versus Max, I felt like Max might be the break or the rudder and you're like the accelerator, but it sounds like you guys are both those things. And obviously he comes from an incredibly creative and innovative family. That's got to be in his genes too. And I could just see you guys just kind of spitballing and just naturally and organically brainstorming over coffee. And even I'm not describing that the right way. And I've never witnessed you guys having coffee. I could totally see that. It sounds like you've been out to coffee with us. 
I'd love to. That's what it is, Aaron. <laughs> I can tell you though, we are both sides. We are the break. We definitely operate on both sides, but it's match would be the break when it came to a legal or quality question. And I'd be the break on the finance side. So he would maybe try to push the finance side forward and I would break it back. Or I might try to push through getting a product moving along, but he might break it back on the quality. It works so well. Neither of us question each other. It's pretty special. It's super special and it's actually quite rare. And I think any of our listeners who've been through this or know people who've been through this would probably attest to that. One last question before I let you go. Do you envision, I know we talked about the prescription route potentially, but what about food? Like I had Jason Karp, who is the founder of Huco. You've probably seen some of their chocolates. And it's interesting, his story is so fascinating. He was on the show and he was like a very sickly kid. He was so sick, he almost went blind and it was because of what he was putting in his body. It wasn't genetic or it might've like triggered something that was genetic, but it was 100% associated with stuff he was ingesting, which happened to be sugar, gluten, things that made him very, very sick as a young man and it impacted his life. Do you ever envision going into food next or some level of food, especially given your culinary background, which I know you've kind of put to the side for now a little bit, but your background is in food chemistry and I know it all kind of comes together. I think, Aaron, the food industry, there's a lot left to be done. But what I can say is it's made great progress in terms of alternatives to dairy and alternatives to wheat and so on and so on. I love experimenting with it and having a good time with food. But this industry, the drug industry is ripe for disruption. And we're disrupting it. And we're going to continue to disrupt it because it's much bigger than me. It's much bigger than Max. At the end of the day, we're just a vessel kind of carrying it. And then we'll move on in life to wherever that is, but we'll move on. And I think for us, it's that passion and that drive of cleaning up an industry that needs to be cleaned. It's not just a business venture. It's pushing something forward and making others recognize that things have to change. And is the end game a SPAC, IPO, acquisition? I think we're going to keep our heads down for many years to come and head in the direction of our main focus, which is putting people over everything. And I think a people's pharma company sounds pretty interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, that's good. I would advise you. You said that really well. So I would say our number one focus right now is scaling and growing and serving the people. And if we do all that, then who knows? That's perfect. That's good right. answer. <laughs> that's what I do for a living too. But- Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Your PR person did you right. She did not do you dirty. So I appreciate you really like fucking up my medicine pantry. So I'm going to go home tonight and say to my wife, oh my God, I'm going to take a big box and a garbage bag and just go with my arm and just sweep it all into like a big trash bag and then go to Target and restock my medicine pantry, if you will. Awesome. Or just send us your address and we'll restock it for you, Aaron. I will do that. I'll do that as soon as I hit stop on this record button. Take a look at a lot of those inactive ingredients and look them up. I think you'll be surprised. I definitely will. And listen, it was great chatting with you. I love the story. I love the background. Can't wait to see you guys continue to succeed. And I'll keep my eyes open for all those ingredients, those bad inactive ingredients that don't do me any good. In fact, they might do me harm. Talc. I don't understand why I'm consuming talc. By the way, I'm like a huge hypochondriac, maybe because I'm a bubble boy. I don't know. So now you've just like (laughs) made it even worse for me. But it's a super cool company, and I just have the utmost respect for you guys, especially building it so quickly, getting through regulatory hurdles. But 
B Corp status and achieving that in and of itself is a massive regulatory success metric, which very few really lot start, not many finish. And you guys not only started, you finished, you're compliant and you're growing and you're leaning into it. So major respect for that. Just amazing. Thanks a lot, Aaron. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quipkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsay Hand, Dara Cawthorn, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com.